You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. Good morning. Thank you, thank you. It's good to be here this morning, but thank you. You know, I was thinking um, in preparation for today, I, I wonder if there's anyone in this audience that has never heard me preach on a Sunday morning. Anybody? Just never heard me preach on a Sunday morning. Oh, that's good. That makes me feel good because you don't know my stories. And, uh, <laughs> and this morning as I share, if, if I started into a story that the rest of you know really well, if I get stuck, just lead me through it. <laughs> um, last uh, Sunday was an amazing experience together. Our brother Stu was, whew, he was on. And uh, he reviewed with us uh, the powerful significance of Romans chapters 1 through 11. And um, in doing that, he helped us to understand what we call God's declared theology, what God says is true about us. And um, at chapter 12, we have a, a transition verse that leads us into these chapters, uh, which gives us an opportunity then to imagine what would it be like if we learn together to apply what God says is true. So that's what these chapters are about. They're about learning to apply what God says is true. And, and in verse 1, I thought about that. I, I hope you have. Uh, imagine... Imagine you're God and you're writing this letter to us through Paul and you've told us all these marvelous things about you. I'm wondering what you would have thought is the first thing you want us to do. Okay, it's your turn now. You get a chance to make an application of everything I've said about you. What is the first thing you would imagine you would do? Well, let's look at what God said he thinks is the first priority. So this is what he says, chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing that he asks us to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Huh. What does that mean? Thank you, Lord, I get to do this. What is it that you're asking me to do? By the mercies of God, I want to ask you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The mercies of God. See, God did something at the cross, did lots of things, but one thing he did in Jesus Christ is in his mercy, Jesus did for us something. Because of God's mercy, I never get what I deserve. You understand that? Because of Jesus Christ, I never get what I deserve. I never get what I deserve. 
And he says to present yourselves, present your body. Huh. It's all about grace, isn't it? So I want, I want you to participate with this part of the message. If you presented you to God, what would he say is true about you? If you presented you to God, what would he say <clears throat> is true about you? What is it you're actually presenting? Think about what we've learned in Romans and some of us for years. I want you to answer that. As you think of presenting yourself to God, who are you presenting? What is true about you? Anybody? We're what? Yeah, we're, we're, we're life in Christ. Thank you. Somebody else. We're holy. Think about that. Somebody else. We're righteous. What? We're without blemish. Acceptable. Pleasing to God. Yes. Sons and daughters, children of God. Redeemed. Excellent. Keep going. What's true about me? Able to be used by God, which is what this is all about. Able to be used by God for his purposes. Now, some of you may have never done what we're going to do right now. Maybe no one's ever told you to do it. Because of what God says is true about you and me, he would like us to present that to him. Imagine, some of us sit and we're not sure about this book and the Bible and Christianity and our faith and, and, and we, we just don't know that it's the desire of the heart of God for you and me to affirm in his presence all that he has done in us and to offer that to him. Now I just gave you those words. I wonder what you would have offered to him before he walked in the door. Some of us would have said, I've got nothing. Stop that. If you're, if you're a Christian, you have so much. You just need your heart to agree with what God has said about you. And, 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 and give it to him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. A continuing life that is full, as Mike said, of the potential of God's purposes in us. A living life that is full of the potential of God's purposes in us. There have been some dark seasons in my life where I was convinced that God didn't want me or one didn't want to use me. I was convinced that those dark seasons were my definition. And therefore, I believed them to be true. And I lived out of them as if they were true. And I was convinced there was nothing about me. And I was a Christian that was acceptable to God. And I was wrong. I was wrong.
I know you've heard us preach this a lot, but I just got to tell you, God's view of you is always the right view. Tell him that. (laughs) Tell him that. Present that truth to him as one you believe. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Holy. Really? Yeah, really. Me? Well, more importantly, you. What does that mean? Well, we know it means to be set apart, but what does it really mean practically? What does it mean? Romans chapter 6, it means this. By the grace of God, I no longer have to serve sin. I no longer have. Do you understand? There is something in Bill Thrall, by the grace of God called holiness, that causes me, Romans chapter 6, to no longer yield my members as servants of sin. Because why? Because I'm holy. Wow, really? It isn't just that I'm free from having to sin. It's something else. It means that I, because I am holy, I get to walk into the righteousness and the purposes of God. Bill Thrall? I know that character. I think it's important for me to say this in context of our fellowship. He's writing... He says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers. He's writing to community. He's writing to a community. He's not writing. We we read everything because of our mindset. We read everything individually. This is all about me. No, no. This is all about us. This is about us. This is about a community of believers who are doing something, who together, together, are reminding each other of what God says is true about us. We're really good at reminding each other how screwed up we are. We're really good at that. It's the wrong attitude. Imagine what it would be like for us as a fellowship to live in this reality. That's why he's teaching it. It's one thing for us to have a theology that's solid, but it's actually more important that this solid theology actually lived out in us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that ye present your bodies holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Holy and acceptable to God. Approved of God. <laughs> Look at this, which is your spiritual worship. There's, a, there's a, a concept in that spiritual there. It really means this, which is your reasonable worship. It, it, it actually makes sense. It's like this. Think of it this way. God is saying to us, I've got something I want you to do now that I've declared all these things are true about you. Would you please give yourself to me? Would you please do that? Would you just give who you are to me? 
And you know what he's saying? It actually makes sense. It's reasonable worship. It actually makes sense. And we would go, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've given my life to God, except. No. No, no, get the exceptions out of it. Imagine you and I just literally raising our hands before God. If you've never done it, go home this afternoon before the game and, <laughs> and stand in a quiet place and just say, God, I, I want to give you me because of all that you have done in me and rehearse with him what is true about you. That is the foundation from which we then can make application of what he's taught us. That's the beginning point. That's why the Holy Spirit of God did this in this context, to give us a starting point. As I said to you already, I couldn't have done that for years. I knew I was a Christian, but I could not get over the hump of how screwed up I was. And I didn't realize that there's no dealing with how screwed up I am until I give me to him. So you got to get the order right. Don't get fixed so you can be presentable to God. Present yourself to God so he can fix you. That's, that's what he's teaching us here. And then he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's, it's, a, it's a tension between two words. And, and each of the words, be not conformed and transformed, each of the words have a, have a continuing action to them. He's saying something to us. By the way, there is a process here in which you and I get a chance to mature. Isn't that beautiful? It's a maturing process. And there's going to be a tension in our lives as we mature. The tension is going to be this. Do not be conformed to the world. As we all know, it has nothing to offer us anyway. Stop that. Quit spiritualizing stuff. Deal with the reality of how luring the world is to you. But listen carefully. He says, don't be conformed to it. The language is this. Don't be conformed to it because that is not who you are. Don't be conformed to the world because it no longer represents who you are. It once represented who you were, but it doesn't represent who you are. In fact, for a Christian to conform to the world is for the Christian to wear a mask. It's an interesting, kind of a, a, a reverse thinking of wearing a mask. A Christian has to wear a mask to conform to the world because it is not any longer their identity. I've got to masquerade as a Christian in the world. We've talked about this many times, but <sighs> I just want you to know the world thinks most of us are just hypocrites. They just think we're hypocrites. And the reason they think we're hypocrites is because they know we're wearing a mask. Now, some of us are going to capture a word like this and we're going to misapply it. 
And, and lots and lots of places where Christians are in church do this. Well, then let's figure out as Christians how not to conform to the world. When I was growing up as a young believer, the way you were not conforming to the world is that you didn't go to movies. And that would convince the world you were a Christian. <laughs> it's, it's almost silly. Isn't it? It's just almost silly. You didn't smoke. And there were testimonies of victory from smoking. You get it, right? And you didn't drink. And you didn't go around with people who did. Listen, you will always conform to the world until you believe who God says you are in Christ. The way to not conform to the world is not to create a list of things that would help you to not conform. That's, I just always say good luck to that theology. Good luck to that theology. No, no, this is something else. He says, be not conformed to the world because I want you to be something else. I want you to be transformed. See, don't be conformed. I want you to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What he's saying is there's going to be this tension. We live in a world that is very alluring to us. And in fact, it will capture us unless we understand something else. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What's he saying to us? He's saying this. The word here is metamorphous. It means this. It means to grow into who you really are. That's why we in our ministry use the caterpillar and the butterfly as an illustration. Because the caterpillar is going to become a butterfly. But when it's a caterpillar, it doesn't know it yet. And as John Lynch says when he teaches it, and it doesn't, isn't, doesn't do any good to yell at the caterpillar's ear that it ought to be a butterfly. No. Here's the reality. Grow into. Grow into who God says you are. It's your new reality. To be conformed to this world is to wear a mask. And we know something about wearing masks, don't we? No, it means, it means to be something. It means to be transformed. A process that causes your life to represent who you really are. A process that causes your behavior to be in line with your identity. How do I sin less? By working on my sin? Good luck. No, I sin less by trusting God with who he says I am and learning to love and be loved. See, I want, I want to be able to, he's saying this, okay, now what am I supposed to do now that I've got all these declared truths? He said he wants, you, wants us to walk in our new reality. And by the way, it's a process in which something has to be continuing happening. 
you have to have a renewal of your understanding. Renewing my mind. That doesn't mean getting up tomorrow morning and saying, think better, think better, think better, think better. No, no, it means something. Jesus helps us with this one. In John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, he talked about the Holy Spirit and he said the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, where is the Holy Spirit in relationship to you? The Holy Spirit of God is in us, the Spirit of truth. And, and Jesus said his job is to do something. His job is to teach us truth. That's his job. He's alive in us. And he's, his job is to teach us truth. So the renewing of my mind begins, for me, I'll just make it real personal, begins for me very simply, maybe only a few thousand times in my life, I have prayed a simple prayer. Spirit of God, teach me to trust you with truth. Spirit of God, teach me to trust you with truth. A simple prayer, second simple prayer, thousands of times. Spirit of God, teach me to trust the truth you teach me. Spirit of God, teach me. Teach me truth. Spirit of God, teach me to trust the truth you teach me. Third simple prayer. A thousand times. Spirit of God, teach me to trust you with my flesh. Spirit of God, teach me to trust you with truth. This week, on Tuesday and Wednesday, Bruce and John and I are going to have the privilege of having about 12 uh, consultants from all over the United States come, and I'm going to spend two days with them. And, and, what, and part of the two days, it, we're going to do something which I want to share with you this morning. We're going to start a process of learning Learning to lay a foundation in my understanding based on my convictions. Based on my convictions. You know what convictions are? My convictions are the truths in my life that I act upon. Those are my convictions. The truth in my life that I act upon my mind is being renewed when I am, in fact, acting upon truth. As I've said many times, this is the Word of God. It's full of, it's full of truth. But some of us are satisfied with just knowing it. Knowing this book is a great thing, but it won't transform your thinking. Nothing will transform your thinking until you trust what this book says is true. Nothing. Well, what do I get to do? Watch what you get to do. You get, now, because all God says is true about you, you get to trust truth. Whoa. You mean, I get to, what does that mean? 
Hey, I heard you. I get the trust truth. Well, write that one down. Bill says try. I don't have a clue what that means. Here's what it means. Truth is never trusted till I act upon it. Truth is never trusted till I act upon it. So what what he's saying to us is this. There is a renewing of your mind as the Spirit of God and the Word of God open to you the truths of God. And your mind is being renewed, and as your mind is being renewed, you're able to do something. This, This next part should kind of blow you away. Let me just read it to you. But be renewed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What? Hmm. What do I get to do, God? Well, you get to present yourself. Okay, I got that part. What else do I get to do? Well, you get to do something else. You get to be transformed by starting to trust the truth of this book for you. And you act upon it. Now, there's a simple biblical word for this. Acting upon truth is called obedience. Wow, that's kind of interesting. Oh, I get it. I need to understand that God not only has declared these things true about me, but he actually does something. He actually wants me to live in them. Well, how would I live in them? By acting upon them. And that would be called what? Obedience. Huh. I'm not good at obedience, God. (laughs) And he's saying, I noticed that. (laughs) I noticed that. Uh, Could you not, God, just show me your will? Why don't you just, come on, why don't you just come right out and show it to me? Because you wouldn't know how to handle it. Because I'm not able yet to trust you with it. Ouch. Boy, back in the 70s and 80s, there were like 300 books written on knowing the will of God. All these five, seven, I think one had eight steps. And and always in every one of them, the catcher was this. You know the will of God if you just believe enough. Well, that's not what Paul's teaching us here. You can discern the will of God for your life when you are willing to trust God with his truth and act upon it. I was teasing you at the beginning about telling my stories, and I'm glad there's 10 people here who've never heard this one. Uh, I went to Bible, I, went, I became a believer right after high school, and I went to Bible college immediately And at 19, I had this profound, don't know how to describe it with God, where I just had this profound sense of destiny. I just had this profound awakening in me that someday God somehow was going to do something significant of this character at 19. And I thought it was going to be the following Tuesday. (laughs) So I just went, whoa! And uh, maybe not the following Tuesday, but within a couple of weeks, a dear lady at the school who was the president's secretary told me 
that she believed God's hand was on my life and that she was going to pray for me every day the rest of her life. And she prayed for me for over 30 years. Every day. Every day. What a confirmation. I started to date this woman over here, my wife Grace, and uh, we came to a difficult time in our relationship, not because it was hard, but because of something that was true in each of us. We started to fall in love, and we started to get worried, and I started to get worried. What if this woman that I'm falling in love with doesn't see the destiny of God in me? And then, unbeknownst to me, she was struggling with the same thing because apart from me at 19, she had had an experience with God about the destiny of her life, and so she was worried, what if this character, Bill, that I'm falling in love with, doesn't get in touch? And, and I tell you, there was a happy party that night when we found out that each of us had this profound sense of destiny. So I'm at 19, and... Um, we get married, finish college. I get a job as a CPA. I start working with high school kids and college kids. And the hippie movement explodes in America, and we're trapped in the middle of it. And uh, my boss says uh, to me on a Friday, Bill, you're going to have to make up your mind. You can't have two careers. You cannot keep working here and also have all of these extra, he called them extracurricular activities. And so I went home that afternoon, and Grace must have seen it in my face. And uh, she and I sat down at our kitchen table, and we cried together. We cried. Because there was this profound sense in us that I was going to leave my career and we were going to go into ministry together with these young adults. Now, I was 32 years old. 13 years later. I want to tell you something. There were some unbelievably important life lessons in those 13 years. Uh, unbelievably important about trusting others with me about God showing me what I was capable of doing to me. I was self-destructing. Well, how did you know it was the will of God? Because we had done what he said here. Um, we tested it. And, and we discerned it was. And we acted upon it, and it changed our lives. And, 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 and others have said, and others' lives because of it. Now, I want to I pause here and say to all of you, that was just my story. What's your story? Why well, don't I have a story like that? Why not? When did you choose to not trust God with your future? When did you choose to decide enough is enough? When did you choose that you're just satisfied with what is? Stop that. That's got nothing to do with what we're talking about. 
There is no one in this room that is a believer who isn't designed of God for a destiny. No one. Let me say it again. There is no one in this room that is not designed of God for a destiny that he has prepared for you. Walk in it. Discover it. In in this fellowship in our early days, we didn't have a vision for the fellowship. You know what our vision was? Hope it still is. (laughs) This was our vision. Not that we would have a vision for Open Door, but that Open Door would be a place that would include your vision. That it would be a place for your vision to be realized and matured and developed so you could, with us, move into the purposes of God. Wow. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? What is good and acceptable and perfect? It's good when we walk, when we walk in the intentional purpose of God for our life, it is good because others will always benefit from our influence. It's good. It's good. I could not have dreamed the dream that has become my reality. Couldn't have dreamed it. I sincerely say to you, God's dream for me has been so much bigger than mine. I, I never would have understood it. Couldn't have. How's that happen? Because Bill Thrall is a super saint? No, come on. You know me. No. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. Nothing can be added to it. I want to just take a, just a couple of minutes because I want you to go to verse 3 with me. I want to I make another application this morning. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That will go into next week's message, but I want to pause there for a minute because let me just say that's, that's a passage where Paul, by grace, understands a principle called humility. And the renewed mind always understands humility. And there's two aspects here that are thinking aspects. Bill, Spirit of God, Paul the Apostle, Jesus, how am I supposed to live this out with humility? How would I know it's humility? By the way I treat you. That's how I would know. Am I living out the purpose of God in my life? It depends on how I treat you. If I think more highly of myself than you, believe me, believe me, if I'm actually walking in the purpose of God, I will fail in the purpose of God. Wow.
as I think about Paul's uh, encouragement here, he says, but to think with sober judgment. Because you know what? This whole process is pretty serious. Pretty serious. Um, when Grace and I prayed that prayer at our table and we began this ministry, um, there were people in our lives. People like Dennis Martin and Cindy Pilger in those days. They were people in our lives. People like Billy Foles and Susan and Ann. They were people in our lives. And I learned stewardship. That God's will in my life is always for the benefit of those I influence. That's very sobering. That's, that's very sobering. I'll tell you a quick story about sober thinking. Kit Danley, 30 years ago, maybe 35 years ago, invited me to go with her because Neighborhood Ministries was being formed to meet with the board of a very large church in the valley, very large church. And a man of influence in that church got us to meet with the board. And so we sat with the board of elders at this very large church, and Kit just tried to describe to them maybe three or four minutes what the mission she had and what God had called her to do and the needs of the poor. And she got into three or four minutes, and finally one of the men said, well, how much money do you want? She said, what? Well, you're here for money. How much do you want? And she said, no, I, I didn't come here to ask for money. Well, why'd you come? Because um, we would like to ask you uh, to come to some training we've developed. It's on Tuesday nights, and it takes 12 weeks. It's about an hour each Tuesday night. And the guy said, training to do what? Well, training <laughs> to give out food and clothing and and." have special needs taken care of. And the guy looked at her and he said, um, it takes 12 weeks to do that? It takes 12 weeks to know how to hand out bread? No, she says, we teach you that in the first half hour. It's the other several weeks where we teach you how to do it by demonstrating respect and dignity for the one you give it to. You know what that's called? Sober thinking. <laughs> Don't want your money. We want you to understand something. The poor need to be respected. They need to have dignity. Would you be willing to learn how to do that? It changed that church. They said yes. And their money followed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last 30 years. Lord, I want to give myself to you. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit of God, continue through the word of God to renew my mind, 
Father, bring me into fellowship, into fellowship with others so we can discover together your purposes for us. Forgive us, God, when we put ourselves above others. Teach us humility so we can celebrate with sober reality this awesome truth that we are the hands of God and the purposes of God in this world. Let me pray. Father, as I said at the beginning, I don't think I would have had that the first thing. I don't know what I would have done, but boy, just kind of, really? This is what you want? You want me to agree with you of all that you have done in me so that I can be moved by you, God, into your purposes. Help us not to miss this this morning. Help me not to miss it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that none of this is possible without him. And we pray in his name. Amen.